Welcome to Smart Branding, a podcast dedicated to branding, naming, and domain names. I'm Tatiana Bonneau, and with my guests, we try to help you create and grow strong, memorable, and meaningful brands online. I believe time is one of our most precious assets, and so I want to thank you in advance if you decide to spend the next 30 minutes with us. I promise to do my best to make those worth it. Let's go. So my guest today is the CEO of Zump, where him and his team are saving businesses from sales tax, as well as entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, investor. We'll talk about all that. So thank you for joining us. And sorry for messing your name up, but like from the outset. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, happy to be here. Thanks for thanks for having me, Tatiana. Sure. Let's start with a bit of a background. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, how did you get into entrepreneurships and how, like, what led you to Zamp, which you're focused on at the moment? Yeah, so I, a lot, my, my story with entrepreneurship and, and I guess just a little bit about my background, I grew up in Michigan um, and a lot of what I, what I thought I wanted to do as a kid is, you know, I was wanted to go into uh, build a company. I, I wanted to, you know, maybe build my own biotech company, maybe like work on the finance side. That's kind of what I thought was like interesting because you hear about a lot of these IPOs, Wall Street stuff, et cetera. So I ended up going to school in Philly. I went to this school called University of Pennsylvania. Uh, I went there actually initially to, to kind of study uh, business and engineering. And I was like, oh, cool. Like I'm going to build a company because it kind of makes sense, right? You can build things and you can sell things. But at school, you kind of get sucked into this Wall Street mentality of everybody, you know, most of our class did consulting or, uh, you know, some kind of investment banking, private equity or investing or, or whatever that is. So that's, <laughs> I kind of took the more secure route there and I ended up doing that for a few years. So in, initially in my career, I, I was in the private equity space for several years. Um, while I did that, I also uh, realized that my, my group wasn't letting me invest in the public markets. And this is kind of how my entrepreneurship journey myself really began. They weren't letting me invest in public markets. And so I was like, it was like 20, it was like between 2017 and like 2020, uh, 2020 or something like that. 2021, the market was booming. Like everybody was making money. I see my friends like investing in like whatever in there. And I was kind of like, I have this cash, but I can't do anything with it. They won't let me invest. So what I did instead is I asked them, like, can I invest in like real estate businesses? Like, yeah, absolutely. So I started buying houses, I started flipping houses, started doing like full guts, renovations, all of those kind of things. Um, and then eventually like towards the end of it, I had a team. And so I had a team that would be helping me flip these houses, do kind of renovations and all that stuff. And I'd say that was my first like touch point into entrepreneurship because I was ultimately building something from like nothing or, or on a limited basis. And I was creating something to sell to other people. And I was also managing a team of about 10 to 12 people. So then at that point, I, I actually thought about starting a prop tech company that essentially was like a workflow tool for contractors, because a lot of us know that contractors are not the easiest people to deal with at all times. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I started building a tool. We're talking to engineers, getting our MVP out. Um, at the same time, uh, I ran in, I, you know, I met my co-founder now, his name is Edward Lando. I got introduced to him through a friend, met, met Edward Lando. He's, and at that same time, I was thinking like, I love this thing that I'm doing on the real estate side. I love the fact that I can build something, sell it, et cetera. And as an investor, you don't really do that. You're kind of just like investing mm. and you're just sitting there, right? You're not really adding a ton of value into the business. You're not really building anything. And I was like, I really like that. Like maybe I could do this at an early stage company. 
And this was when like, you know, people were raising like hundreds of million dollar rounds. And I was like, wow, like I can see this equity grow. I can join an early company and it's going to be awesome. And so I talked to this guy, like Edward Lando. He also went to school with me. Um, we were kind of the same year, uh, not the same year. We were cross paths at school as well. Essentially, I was like, he's invested in, he's a prolific angel investor, built several companies. And I was like, hey, listen, Ed, uh, I think, you know, you built all these companies. Like I was thinking I could talk to him in the concept of, in the realm of like joining one of those companies. So like, I'm going to join one of these startups that he's invested in early stage so that I can kind of help build that company and be a part of it. Instead, he was like, hey, listen, you know, I like you. Our whole team likes you at Pareto, uh, which was like the investment vehicle that he started. He's like, why don't you just come join me uh, at Pareto? Uh, and you can keep investing and, and, you know, apply some of those investment skills. But we can also build companies together. And at that time, I was like, you know what? You know, I came from a little bit of a conservative side where I kind of had jumped into that investing thing early from private equity days. And I was like, you know what? I can go earlier stage and try to figure out what exactly I want to do. And I don't need to rush into it. So I stopped the other processes with companies. And I was like, you know what? I want to do this. The great thing was I, we, we invested in like, you know, I think like a few, maybe like, uh, call it like 100 companies, 200 companies, something like that a year, give or take. So you just see a lot of volume of deals. And you also mm. see like what's working in the market and what's not working in the market. You get an understanding of which companies are struggling and which companies don't struggle. And so after a while, there was that element, just getting a lot more exposure early stage. And this is kind of how Zamp really came about is uh, the second element was because we were investing in so many companies, a lot of them, as any investor knows, we always get portfolio updates. They ask us like a series of questions wherever they need help. Usually it's like fundraising, some form of like hiring or, you know, like some miscellaneous section. And a lot of times in that miscellaneous section, I started to realize over the, you know, the, the few months that I was at Pareto that people needed help with sales tax. And it was just like existing providers aren't good enough. Could you help me get in contact with somebody there? Uh, you know, we are having an issue with these Nexus laws or the new legislation changes. Do you guys understand it? And it was kind of this mix of they didn't really like the service that existing providers shared with them. And they didn't really understand the actual you know, the nuts and bolts of it. And so at first I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm early at this. I mean, I'm one of the latest hires here. I'm going to add value by maybe partnering one of the, one of the solutions out there. And it's going to be a consistent revenue stream for Pareto. And everybody's mm -hmm. going to love me because I've created this like revenue stream for, you know, for free. And then, you know, I started talking to vendors and started getting demos and, and realized that they're, they're just not that good. And they weren't really supporting businesses in the way that they wanted. And I think a part of it was because the two bigger ones out there are the ones that people use. They had been acquired. And because they've been acquired, the service started to suffer. Uh, the, you know, the account management wasn't there. There was like, a, you know, a rotating door in terms of people. There just not wasn't as much care for the customers and actually supporting them. And then just in terms of like the actual compliance, it was just getting uh, sometimes it was wrong. So then I, I told I told Ed I was like, you know, uh, I was thinking about building this prop tech company, and I know we kind of started on this. Like, I think we should pivot to sales tax. Uh, we should do this instead. <laughs> Not like pivot that company, but start a whole new company. And so we kind of realized these acquisitions had happened. And, and that's kind of how Stamp really came about. We thought we tried to look for a solution for our existing investments. Then didn't really find one. And we're like, hey, I think we can do this better. And so like over the last year or you know, a little over a year now, we've hired a lot of the people that have been in the industry before. 
from like mm. sales to marketing to engineering to tax data content few state auditors and so now we kind of have this like sales tax super team um that's uh you know helping support and uh, changing the market today so that's a little bit about the background i like that sales tax super team that's like a want to see it on a t-shirt <laughs> it's cool <laughs> exactly I, i think we need to make like new hats for that too yeah <laughs> no it's, it's very cool tell me about the name how did you come up with zump <laughs> yeah so we're one of those fortunate teams i'd say like fortunate groups that has a four-letter domain name and mm. uh this, this it's kind of funny like my my co-founder ed he he like he's been a serial entrepreneur since we were in college he's a few years older than me and, and since college he's just been buying a bunch of domain names <laughs> and so like I think like a few years before we started Zamp, he had bought like Zamp.com. And at that time, it was, you know, you could still get four-letter domain names. And we just had, when we started Zamp or when we started this like sales tax company, we were like, what should we name it? We went through like tens of hundreds of different potential names and none of them really quite fit. And he's like, hey, by the way, like I have this domain that I've been sitting on for a while, but I've been saving it for like a company that I think is going to absolutely crush it. And so he's like, I'm like, what is it? And he's like, oh, it's Zamp.com. And I was like, you have a four-letter domain name called Zamp.com and it's basically like Ramp.com? What are you doing here? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And I was like, okay, let's use this. This is great. This is awesome. And so we kind of agreed upon it then. Um, and it just, and, and it kind of made sense because it was, it was kind of sounds fast. It sounds you know, like exciting. And, and for us, sales tax was never, sales tax is not exciting. Sales tax, you know, we like stealing. That mm. stuff. It was like, how can we make it a little bit more exciting from a branding perspective? And then that speed of it, when it comes to sales tax, taxes, anything government related, everything's always like relatively on the slower side. Mm. So it's also instilling that element of speed within, uh, you know, the customer's mindset that, hey, if we, you know, if we use SAMP, then it's going to get mm. So, uh, yeah, and, and there's like a bunch. Yeah, and there's also like a bunch of like, little word plays that you can do where it's like zamped up or, you know, anything with amped mm. up and I'm a huge, huge proponent of the word amp. So. Mm. And I was just going to say, it sounds like a verb. It sounds like you, immediately you think like that's a verb in some language. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think ideally that's, that's maybe we'll get uh, shirts for everybody that say like, you've been like zamped up or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. No, I love it. I love it. I think that's a very funny that like you're not the first, so in your case, it's your co-founder, but a lot of serial entrepreneurs end up with like a bunch of domains that are sitting there waiting for the right idea, the right company to come along. And it's really cool to hear those stories. Yeah, 100%. And it's funny because ever since he told me that, I've started buying my own domain names. Um, whether it's like for my... <laughs> For our business or whether it's like for other things and i'm just like you know maybe this won't happen or maybe it will but I, i've heard so many stories of like i have a friend who has a do the domain name like the.com and and like people have these like pretty insane domain names but if you think about it if uh online commerce is going to continue if people are going to continue to build companies online and maybe there's a world in which things get off of like the web but in this call the next five ten years let's say we're just continuously building online a lot of these domain names are going to get taken up really fast. And so the value of your domain name, whether you use it or not, also mm. you know, it almost becomes like an investment, right? So um, kind of interesting. Yeah, although it, it is fair. That's that's pretty much what I do. <laughs> But it, it is very much <laughs> like uh, it is real estate online. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I, definitely like I mean, the, the, like you said.
Yeah, and I think it's like a little bit more defensible than like, you, you know, like the, I don't know if you followed a lot of that stuff that happened in like VR where people are buying like farms on like some virtual reality thing or, or whatever. Oh, is that still happening? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't I know there was a, there was a, is that still going on? I, I'm, I'm not like. I didn't follow. I thought I'm too old for that. <laughs> but then like honest, it didn't it just didn't stick around for long enough for me to like jump into it, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I was getting see, I was getting a little bit concerned because I was like had friends like buying acres and whatnot. I was like, oh god, like yeah. am, I late? am I late on the trend? <laughs> like I don't want to be late. I, one of the things I've always told myself is like I'm gonna catch the next trend. And I never yeah. want to be in the trend. <laughs> and, and then I like a few months later, like all this stuff is just devalued. So like nothing's yeah. I don't know if I'm still doing it or not, but um, you know, it has it's yeah. definitely not super well. Yeah. No, the domains are I mean, literally I think it's this month, it's 40 years since the, officially the launch of the domain name system. So like I know it sounds crazy and it makes you feel really old, but domain names have been there for 40 years, literally. Like out. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. And, and yeah. I guess that's like the whole like GoDaddy business is based on it. Uh, a lot of yeah. yeah so you said you mentioned you've invested in a lot of businesses and worked with teams that invest in businesses so like you've seen a lot of ideas and a lot of things that worked and didn't would you be able to point out like some like really red flags like for something that you look at it and okay that's not going to work yes I, I think there are certainly red flags i think for us you know, it's a mix of things, right? Um, the first thing that we ever look for, I mean, it's just a team. The team is really critical to this. And I think if the team, the founders, the group isn't like fully bought in and there isn't like an aligned vision, I think that's an immediate red flag because at that point, you just don't have direction for the company. No matter how good as an individual contributor you are, no matter how good of a, you know, person you might be or an operator, if there's no like, direction and there's no passion for the building of business mm -hmm. it's really hard because you're not just maintaining a business you're actually building this thing block by block so mm -hmm. i think teams like super critical and that's something that we really pushed it on both from both from like a early stage standpoint and i've done i've done like i've seen companies that are pre-revenue and i've seen companies that are hundreds of millions of dollars uh in revenue and so at all stages the management team and the team that's leading it highly critical because when, I mean, right now we're in a pretty tough time. If you, mm. if you don't care enough about the business, you might just throw in the towel. You might not make the right strategic decisions for the business. So that's where I think it really matters. Um, the second thing I think in, in terms of uh, red flags is I always tell people like when you're, when you're starting a business, you really have to answer your answer two questions. The questions are why now? Like what, why, why is this specific time? Why is this the right time to start your business? Is, mm -hmm. is there some market trends that are happening? Is the recession helpful to you in some way? Um, is there, you know, acquisitions that have happened in the market that have opened up the gap for you? Like what, like why now, what, why is it that you want to be building this specific company now and not five years ago, not five years from now? Um, mm. And the second question is like, why are you the right person to build this company? And that really goes back to that first point of like the team, but it's also like, what is your differentiating aspect here? What is your wedge in the market? Like, how are you, how are you approaching the solution that you're providing the, the, uh, the ecosystem today? 
it's a lot of those things of like, if you can answer the why, the why now and the why you questions, a lot of those red flags will slowly come up because you can't answer those two questions. Mm. Um, and so I wouldn't say there's like a specific red flag of like, oh, this is a bad market. Or, oh, this is the, mm-hmm. you know, the, wrong, uh, the wrong financial metrics. I think financials are obviously key, but like early stages, like that's not something people look at. I think those are the two big things. And if you can't answer those for yourself or even like to investors, that's, yeah, I'd say that's a pretty big red flag. Mm. Would you say the name and domain name, because I'll give you an example. There was a very popular interview with the founder of Calm and they initially launched on calm.com, which was like normally the people I work with that come to uh, acquire premium domain names, they already have raised some money, proved their concept. You know, they they know they're going to stick around for some time in order to invest, you know, six, seven, whatever figures in one word short.com domain name. But those guys from Calm, they actually took a pretty much huge risk, what you would say, and they, they put six figures into a domain name out, you know, from launch. So um, it's something that a lot of people would even advise you against, but it works for them. And a lot of, there was an interview with uh, them that where they, they had some of their first investors citing basically that as the reason to trust them saying, you know, if, if they got that name that they're obviously here to stay, they're trustworthy, et cetera. So from your experience, does that matter, the name of the company and the domain name? I think that's a tricky question because I think I've seen companies <laughs> that, uh, I think I've seen companies that have pretty awesome domain names, but they, they're not great companies. Hmm. Uh, when you look under the hood, I think I've also seen companies with not that great of domain names, but they just absolutely crush it. So hmm. um, I think it's like a maybe answer, I'd say. Uh, but I do, I do think that, it, like for us, for example, there's other companies that are called like Zamp uh, in, mm. in, in the ecosystem. Like they don't do the same things that we do. There's like a Zamp Racing. There's like a, uh, like a like a solar company and whatever. But the nice thing about having the domain is, irrespective of where people hear about Zamp, they first go to Zamp.com. They don't go mm. to the other. They don't. They don't necessarily go to the other domains first. Mm. Uh, and I think that's a, in some ways, there's like some value to that is having the, the arrow point to you first, and then you can point it in the right direction beyond that. Mm. Um, I don't think it's necessarily, I believe in having those strong four letter domain names also just from a marketing perspective, because if your name is hard to pronounce, or if your name is like hard to say, it, it, it might, or like hard to spell, it might not stick as well mm. with customers or with people in the ecosystem, right? So when people are talking about it, they're not like, hey, what was that company again? Like, I, mm. I don't remember. I forgot how to say that company's name. And I think there's a lot of times where I've heard that specific phrase said a lot where it's like, wait, how do we say that again? Like, I, I don't really get it. But there's other times where the companies that just, they just stick, right? And you're like, oh, this is, this is the name of the company. And mm. from, a, from the ability to recall perspective, I think names are like super critical from a marketing mm-hmm. perspective. Um, but that, that that doesn't mean that, I think there's other companies out there that have done pretty well without having those names. And there's also companies that have had great names that. Yeah. Mm, absolutely, uh, yeah, I completely agree with you. And that's kind of, um, I, I, I say that often, I don't think any name or dema- the matching domain will save your company if what you offer is not good enough. That, that's just not gonna hold. So, but on the other side, if you do have, a 
great product, a great team, you mentioned a few times, uh, a great company, then it's an advantage to have, you know, a good name and a good domain. So why not have it? Why not give yourself that advantage? Yeah, exactly. I think you're right. Like it, it helps more when you're doing well and it's easy to say versus like when you're not doing well, it kind of doesn't really matter. Like <laughs> domain name is it's not it's not gonna it's not gonna save you yeah absolutely yeah and i think the other thing that you know going back to this thing about like red flags and just domain names and stuff if your product just isn't good or it doesn't do what it's supposed to do you're gonna like your bucket's gonna leak at one point or another so Mm. uh, the domain name shouldn't be like a substitute for your product should just be like an enhancer for your marketing Mm. yeah i said very well there very cool you should like do your marketing yourself <laughs> you work things well i appreciate it I, it's, it's funny I, I don't i write like content on linkedin pretty regularly and then i, I also help like our marketing team so ho- hopefully like some of that is bleeding into uh yeah <laughs> cool uh talk to me about zamp like like what exactly do you offer because when you we touched on it a little bit but like when you say taxes people are usually like oh you know so <laughs> what what do you <laughs> what do you do exactly yeah so i'll just so we provide a managed sales tax solution for businesses so every business in the in the that's selling in the united states has to deal with sales tax meaning they they have there's kind of three buckets they have to know when to charge sales tax on like a transaction with the customer. They have to know how much of sales tax to charge. And they also have to be able to know once they collect that sales tax, what should they do with it? And so that's what we really do. We help companies kind of address that sales tax element of it. And as a customer or consumer, a lot of times you don't really see that because whether you go in, I mean, in Europe or, or in the US or wherever, you're usually just paying that tax, right? Like you go into the market, you pay the PDT tax. Um, in the US, same thing, like you go in, you just pay the tax. But on the back end, there's a lot of compliance, calculation and compliance that really needs to happen. And that's ultimately what we take care of for the businesses. And so today's providers, what they do is they say, hey, Tatiana, here's a software for you, but we're not gonna do everything for you. You're gonna have to find a third party or a team to manage that software. And you kind of see this today with like QuickBooks with a lot of accountants managing QuickBooks, right? Similarly, there's a software, usually an accountant manages it, outsource CFO team, like an internal team, but somebody's spending hundreds of hours a year managing the software. Mm. What we've done instead is we've kind of come to the market and said, why, like people just don't want to deal with it. Like to your point, like people look at it, they go like, uh, taxes, you know, they just, Mm. but but they do want to make sure that it's getting done right. So what we do is we say, hey, we're going to give you the software that you're, you know, that providers give today, but we're also going to add that element of the uh, the support and services that you're getting from outs- outside parties, these third parties mm-hmm. today. So we combine into this thing called a managed solution. And a lot of that's, you know, a lot of it's just tech driven because we kind of s- support the end-to-end compliance piece of it from com- calculation all the way to filing the taxes, the registrations, et cetera, we can use technology to help drive a lot of the uh, operational efficiencies internally. So that's kind of what we do for businesses. And our whole goal and, and you know, the, the mission is ultimately to take sales tax off our customers' plates so they can focus more on growing the business 
They can focus more on profitability. They can focus more on the more important things to them versus sales tax, which is just a cost center. Like they're not making mm -hmm. any money. I'm doing sales tax. They're, they're just doing it because they have to do it. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, that, that's, that's what we do for companies. We support companies uh, that are e-commerce, um, CPG businesses, software companies, digital services companies, anybody that's doing like, say like multi-channel slash, multi-channel slash online sales, uh, selling into the US. And then eventually we'll also get into supporting like international businesses and the VAT mm -hmm. side of things and whatnot too. So that's a little bit about what we do. Hopefully that was more helpful. Cool. I was going to ask you, yeah, who is it suitable for, but you kind of answered that now. And touched on my other question because uh, again to touch on the domain name, zamp.com is a pretty like global domain name. And a lot of times when people launch a business and they're based in one country, especially with you, like you're dealing with tax, it's not that easy to just expand to different countries because of the regulations and et cetera, all is different. But you launched on that name, but we, we covered how you got to have it so you, you have that sorted like you're open to expansion from the outset yeah absolutely and i think like to your point though every country every uh region is going to have their own because we're a compliance and tax tool they're going to have their own requirements and so mm -hmm. we just we're just going to have to be extra conscious about keeping our customers with compliant with those requirements fortunately we have people on our team who have not only done u.s sales tax but they also have experience with the international markets, whether it's Europe, whether it's you know India, whether it's Australia, uh, et cetera. And so we can kind of help address some of that uh, with the experts that we have on board today. Mm. And you said you you have you still have like human input input. It's not all automated. Am I getting that right? Yeah. Yeah. So essentially the 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 part that really you know that's really important is when we onboard the customers, we, we want to make sure that we're putting our best foot forward. We're holding their hand. We're making sure that we get their data. We're making sure that we set up their accounts. That onboarding, that onboarding piece, I don't think will ever be like fully automated. There's going to have mm -hmm. to be a human element because there's so much value in having that face-to-face -face interaction with somebody. Because today's providers, they do this self-serve approach. They say, hey, Tatiana, here's the product. You onboard yourself. Accounts mm -hmm. get set wrong. Things, you know, things aren't implemented correctly that causes downstream issues for them later on. And that's why there's all these support questions of like, oh, like I messed this up, like how do I fix this? And so like onboarding will always be that critical element. Then it comes down to uh, calculation, which is automated by our system. We recently launched an API that does rooftop accurate calculations that is done automatically based on the inputs we get. And then beyond that, the compliance element, the registration, the filing, that's also kind of slowly being more and more automated because we have the customer data already. So how can we continue to uh, aggregate mm. it and transform it in different ways and put it into files? And the last piece I'd say is not, that is maybe it was gonna be like a last thing that we think about automating, but maybe not is really when the customer gets emails from the state and they say, hey, Tatiana, like, you know, your pet food business, we think that there's an issue here. You don't want just like an automated email responding to the state being like, oh yeah, like, mm. you know what it is. <laughs> You know what I mean? That's kind of where like the experts that we have come in. One of them is, you know, her name is Nicole Power. She leads our compliance team. Uh, she's been a state auditor before. She's been on the filing side for, you know, several decades. She's currently working with a lot of governments uh, on, on a piece of legislation called, uh, you know, it's like a, a, a unified power of attorney. And the interesting thing is when 
when her and her team get these notices on behalf of the customers, because they have that relationship with the states, that that becomes really important in helping us address this quickly and swiftly for these customers. And mm. so that piece of it, I don't think will ever also go by the wayside, but those internal elements will definitely continue to become more and more automated over time. So, but this, this also means that we don't really have support costs much on the back end, largely mm. because we're doing everything for the customer. So the customer, like, we send them like the regular emails. We give them a cadence of like, hey, this is what we're doing for you. This is what we need you to do, or this is where we need your help. And we kind of keep in touch with them consistently. So because they don't have that, all those questions that they're asking because they're doing it themselves, they don't like really exist anymore. Mm. And so instead of us allocating those costs to support, we've maybe cut down like 80, 90% of those costs and allocated them towards like talking to the customers throughout the value chain. Uh, and so net net, mm. I think it's even more tech automated than what existing providers are doing today. And it's giving them a higher level of service. That's very cool, actually, and very curious when you think about it, because now, especially with like recently AI and the chat GPT and all the chatbots, chatbots have been around for some time, but like everyone is hyped up about it more now. But everybody threw themselves into that, like, um, all automated generated discussions and supports and chats and all that. And in a way, the goal is to minimize costs of communicating with those people and answering the questions. But what you just said and what I'm absolutely seeing happening is it actually leads to completely the opposite. Plus, on top of that, you have people annoyed, like, I mean, like I myself can probably pick three, five cases of that just in last week alone. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. And it's um, it was going to be another question, but we kind of started talking about it already, that the impact of especially artificial intelligence. And I think it's really smart what you're doing there where you have looked at all the processes and analyzed which ones you absolutely should not be replacing and even though it looks like really like onboarding, that's like, you know, time consuming and a lot of work. And when you think about first the impression that it gives people, like you're talking exactly. to a real human and the fact that it saves you, as you just said, so much on support afterwards and that connection that you build with um, with your customers, it's really invaluable. I mean, I, I mean, you said it better than me, but it's... The we see this with every human interaction, right? When you meet a person or when you meet meet somebody, that first interaction or those first like two two interactions, I'd say are probably the most critical to building this relationship that you have. Once like mm. once like, you've made that interaction, whether it's with the product, whether it's with the person, it's hard to shake that specific feeling. And yes, there are those people in the world that are really good at giving you a new chance or new, you know, new opportunity with the fresh. Uh, you know, like a fresh canvas sometimes, but most mm. people, they don't. It's one of the biggest reasons why we have our phone number on our website is because I want you to call us so that we can answer your questions. Even if you don't decide to go with us as a provider, I want to be able to say that, hey, listen, you had a question related to sales tax or something that we're doing or something on our website. We were able to answer that question for you and you were able to reach us readily. And mm. we've been doing customer case studies now. Um, and that's probably the number one thing that we hear over and over again. It's just the fact that 
hey, I don't have to wait days or weeks to get an answer. And over email, I get, I can reach out to you guys whenever I want. I can get an answer in minutes or hours. And that mm. urgency, that ability to communicate with a human, I think is uh, like super critical. And we hear it over and over again from customers. So it's kind of like, why would we stop investing in something that's giving us the wins versus like, you know, I think that's what helps drive our conversion rates much higher than what they exist in the industry today. Mm. It's like, let's just push top of the funnel as much as possible and keep our processes the same. And maybe our conversion rate is really bad. So we're not focusing on optimizing the middle or the bottom, but uh, we're just trying to push as much volume from the top. But why not just, why not just actually try to get as many of those, uh, the ones in the middle of the funnel or the bottom of the funnel too. So mm. a different way to think about it. And I think AI, AI has its places. I think it has its places in creating efficiencies and optimizing maybe internal processes. But for us specifically, we don't want to have AI necessarily responding to compliance and risk related questions. Because at that point you do want somebody, it's like when, you know, like when you do your taxes, like if you had a question on your taxes, they don't want like an AI bot to be like, oh yeah, Tatiana, like, I think you should be, and you're like, wait, you don't know everything. Like you need to talk to somebody. <laughs> Absolutely. I was, it's funny because I actually studied accountancy, never, never worked it. I'm actually like really bad with money. Honestly, I'm like, just spend, spend, spend. Like my, my solution is always make more money, but I studied it anyway, and it's very funny because the first two years, first year and a half, we had one teacher who was like teaching us, and she she actually never worked as an accountant. She was just giving us the theory. I thought that's just the stupidest thing ever. Why is it not automated? Like, why do we even bother doing this? It's just ridiculous and boring and whatever. Then we had a different teacher who came and she was like one of the best accountants. Like she she was doing it almost as a charity, you know, teaching people because she had like work up to here um, and companies like calling her all the time. And she just like threw everything that the first one has told us in the bin. And it was just like, no, that, that's not how it's done. Like basically what I was thinking came out to be the right thing, which is like, if you're just going to do it by the book, so, you know, two plus two equals four, you don't need a human for that. <laughs> but 100%. like the creativity of it and, you know, following stuff like, you know what I'm talking about. It's just, and it made it exciting and interesting as well. And and this, you can apply that to just about everything. I think there are yeah places where AI can absolutely and will and does uh, enhance performance and improve things but there there are some things that um in a way i feel the what people were fearing like ai would replace us i think it would actually make those skills stand out and be appreciated even more for sure i i i i agree with you and i think like when especially when it comes to like legal stuff or law or i mean tax in itself is just kind of law in some ways and, and you kind of said this it's, mm. there's so many interpretations of this that you kind of need to have experts that understand okay like does this product that I'm selling, does this correspond to this specific law or this, like how mm. should we interpret this? And, and I think even like when you sell a product, I think what we talked about is like the customers need to know, uh, you know, when to collect tax, how much to collect and how to, you know, remit the tax. That first element of like when to collect it, sometimes, you know, customers cross thresholds where Technically, the right thing to do is like, you know, register them and make sure that they have like a business entity and all these things. However, does it make sense from a financial perspective? Does it make sense 
from, you know, from a business perspective, maybe not. Mm. And that's kind of where the experts that we have come in because I think our team is less than 20 people and, and or like around 20 people. And we have around about like 150 years of experience on sales tax. Mm. And, and I think on a per person basis, that's pretty significant versus like anybody you look at out there. But that's what it helps us. That human element is something that the human element with experience is something that helps us support our customers in the right way and align with them and make sure that they are making the right business decisions versus just being like, oh, we're just going to try to sell our product and mm. and just push it on you. Right. And a lot of there's a lot of vendors that do that today. And for us, I think the most important thing is let's build a partnership with the customer. So we're actually helping you enable your sales, enable your growth. And we're just here in the background as like a part of your you know, organization that you don't really want to talk to. Hmm. Pretty cool. Yeah. How would you scale that? I mean, that's one sort of issue that many people have when it comes to like human, human, human interaction, you know, all of that, when you're relying on, on, on that, you know, you, you can scale people. <laughs> How For do sure. you and look I, at that in the future? I think, I think the key thing to realize is the fact that uh, when, when you think about the bulk of the work, the bulk of the work is not being done. Like there's a lot of work being done on the onboarding side and there's a lot of work that's being done on the, uh, you know, the, the, the customer support side, call it where you're addressing the needs. Mm. However, a lot of companies today, they, they spend so much money and, and resources in investing in other things where they could be investing in this specific aspect. So when we think about scaling, onboarding is just a one-time thing for the customer. And so if we're investing in onboarding, that means we're bringing on a lot of customers. We can probably mm. invest a little bit there to help support them. The other thing is in our specific market in, in the industry, because we're doing everything for the customer, we, like I said, we don't have those support costs in the back end. Mm. So we, we're basically, let's say your support costs are 100%, we can cut 80 to 90% of those. But for us, like even if you use an AI chatbot, no matter who you are, like you're not cutting those costs at 80 to 90%. Like there's just no way. And so mm. those costs get re like onboarding means our business is growing. But then on the back end, if there are questions that the states have, usually it's because you're not compliant. But mm. because we're doing it for the customers, those questions are also reduced by a significant amount by like four to five times, if not more. And so it kind of the question becomes like, we're just investing in like onboarding and, and account management where we're helping with renewals. We're helping customers, you know, getting their feedback, understanding what's going on there. And then we're also helping them set up their accounts. So I don't necessarily think those are bad things. I think those are good areas to invest where I think mm -hmm. it's a bad to invest is like in our industry where I think it's like, I'm just going to hire a bunch of support reps, you know, offshore and hope that they're answering the questions based mm -hmm. on like, this like packet of like 20 pages and like let them sift through it, which mm. I'm like, those support costs as your customers grow are only going to grow. So how can you make sure you limit your support costs? And I think that's the biggest questions businesses need to ask themselves is how do you limit your support costs that scale exponentially to how your customers mm. scale? Um, and I think in the beginning, even like the onboarding flow for us, well, there are going to be parts where it'll get more and more automated as we start building out more and more product. And so maybe one onboarding person today can onboard a hundred customers a month. Maybe mm. like here it's going to be 200. I just don't think that investment is, that investment is worth no, it. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it absolutely makes sense. And I love the way you kind of um, 
we you we pointed out the support trips and it's something that people see almost as a good sign you can even say oh we're getting so many questions you know we need more support reps and and when you were just saying it i'm thinking that actually should be a red flag you should be thinking there's something wrong like if i'm getting that many people asking that many questions that i have to handle there's something wrong there's not you know there's something wrong with the process it can be improved for sure 100 percent. and i think there's a lot of a lot of people that are like i think different solutions are different but i think specifically in the risk and compliance space People have self-serve solutions where they tell the customer, hey, you do it. But these, <laughs> these, these markets, they like the, to your point, like the customer just knows what they know by Googling and like whatever, but they, they just don't know what they don't know. And obviously they're going to have questions, but if their questions can get addressed from the beginning, they're not mm. going to panic when they do have, you know, a question here or there. And you, you're not going to have like support requests like inundated. So I, I don't love the self-serve option a lot of times. Um, and I think, you know, another company that does a great job of this is like Carta. Carta, like, makes sure that when, I, when we onboarded with Carta, they made sure that they answered all of our questions from the very beginning. But now I don't really have any questions. Like, I, I, mm. they, they kind of answer everything. I think Gusto or JustWorks or companies like that deal, like, they do a great job of this as well. So... Mm. Again, these are all like businesses in that like compliance and risk space that have done that are doing pretty well. Um, but yeah, I mean, some of that inspiration comes from there too. Cool. Last question: We are coming up to the end of the year. So, what are you looking forward to? Where do you see Zamp next year? Well, this year has been really exciting for us. Um, we launched our product uh, in May, and, and uh, you know we've been scaling really quickly. Some of our investors are, you know, calling us one of the faster growing SaaS companies out there of the year. Um, I think next year, I think that's great. But the next year is like, how do we continue to drive that urgency? How do we continue to scale as a business? So it's kind of the same thing that we talked about is it's great that we're getting top line revenue and it's great that we're bringing in business. But how do we make sure that we support these customers efficiently so that we're not just burning capital on the bottom? End? And that just comes down to automation pushing on more efficiencies. And that's going to be a huge focus for us next year. It's that automation and ops efficiencies and uh, building on more uh, just product efficiencies for, for the customer. So I'm excited about that. Um, there's also going to be some interesting things that we're cooking up for the customers along the way as well. So it'll be interesting to uh, to release that and, and get their feedback. Oh, some t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> I, a little bit. <laughs> Cool. Well, that's been an absolute pleasure. We'll include all the links of where people can reach you and Zamp uh, with the podcast. Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Tatiana. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Smart Branding Podcast. Feel free to visit smartbranding.com for more information and reach out if you have any suggestions, questions, ideas, or just want to learn more about how a good domain name strategy can help you build a strong and successful brand. See you next time.